A big thank you to Spark for being the presenting sponsor of African Tech Roundup's podcast mini-series on the entrepreneurial progress being made in some of the world's most vulnerable states. Spark is a Dutch NGO that bridges the gap between higher education and entrepreneurship in fragile and conflict-ridden regions of North and Sub-Saharan Africa and the Middle East. To learn more about Spark and the opportunities they're creating, visit sparkonline.org. That's spark-online.org. My guest on this podcast, the last of this series, is a corporate strategy and economic policy MBA who hails from Burundi, but has lived and worked in the Netherlands for the better part of 10 years. Through his startup, Wajenzi, he aims to channel all his professional competencies into narrowing the SDG's financing gap by stimulating the African diaspora to invest systematically in their countries of origin. Listen in to hear why this man is fired up and ready to go, and to hear me push back on his apparently limitless passion for his organization's mission. This podcast was taped at the fringes of Spark's sixth annual Ignite Conference, a premier gathering of refugees, entrepreneurs, educators, private sector actors, government leaders, academics, and NGOs. This is an independent African Tech Roundup production. The opinions expressed by me, your host, and those of my guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the presenting partner, Spark. Hello, my name is Alan Hurikie. I am uh, the founder of Wajenzi, a diaspora investment platform to promote uh, in our contribution as diaspora to our country of origin through investment. Welcome to the African Tech Roundup, Alain. Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to this interview. Well, I'm glad you are. <laughs> Definitely nice to have you on the show. Now, I think of the work you do at Wajenzi as kind of like the Batman to your daytime gig. Tell the people like what you do during the day or how else you spend your time. During the workdays, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a freelance consultant, and what I'm trying to do is helping uh, Dutch companies to do business in Africa. And then uh, working with businesses, I work also with NGOs who are trying to promote entrepreneurship in our country of origin in Africa. So that's what mainly what I do during the weekdays. And then, you know, in the weekends, then I spend all my time with my kids, my two little girls. I think I first discovered your work because of work you were doing in collaboration with um, the International Organization for Migration. Yes, indeed. I'm working with uh, the International Organization for Migration, IOM, where I'm trying to support them in setting up entrepreneurship programs to support refugees and then other migrants living in the Netherlands. Because one of the biggest uh, challenges for migrants as here in the Netherlands is really access to network access to finance as migrant entrepreneurs and then so far in the Netherlands we don't have specific programs targeting us so then what I'm doing with IOM is really to try to help them in you know setting up such programs for uh, migrant entrepreneurs. Perhaps share your story a little because you're from Burundi we're sitting here in Amsterdam tell the people how you end up in this position and having a burden for these issues. I'm coming from a small country called Burundi in uh, in East Africa. So I moved to the Netherlands in 2009 and then for me really the reason for me moving to Europe was really looking for an opportunity to become something that I couldn't see myself being in in my country. So I was looking for an opportunity to become uh, someone different. To, to and what year was this? So that was back in 2009. What did you see or not see in in your home situation that that spurred this desire to be somewhere else 
So uh, when I was back in Burundi, I wanted to become an entrepreneur. I had two ideas that I submitted to investors, to banks, to see if I can, you know, get started. And then I also spoke to my family and friends to see if I cannot get some kind of funding to do so. But unfortunately, I can, I cannot, I, I couldn't get really access to finance. And then I ended up doing, you know, the normal job that everybody is doing in Africa just to survive. And then I was looking for an opportunity to go abroad, maybe to look for, you know, for. For, for better opportunities and I applied for a scholarship in the Netherlands and then I, I was selected to stay in the Netherlands to you know to to to, to do my, my masters and then after my graduation I decided to stay so I can learn about you know the European you know working environment the culture and then also try to see if I cannot also realize my potential as you know becoming an entrepreneur and then my journey yeah, has been so great so far because, you know, I managed to learn what I'm supposed to learn to really set up my businesses and to my, my business. And then I also managed to get a network that can support me in that sense. And then to be honest, now I am dreaming than before. I, I, I Even if I didn't secure yet finance, but I, I have hope that at one point, you know, my startup will kickstart. Okay, so let's talk about this a little more because, correct me if I'm wrong, post-conflict Burundi, give me a sense of perhaps some of the assumptions or m misplaced assumptions we might make about the fact that, well, the war is technically over, the unrest is technically over, or at least the worst parts of it are, therefore everything's okay. Give me a sense of why that might be a, a faulty assumption to make about a place like Burundi, and then also link it to what you've just talked about, which is you are now, given all the skills and the exposure you've gleaned, in a position to dream in a way that you couldn't dream before? You know, I left Burundi as a young man. And then when I was young, I was dreaming, as I said. I was dreaming to become something. And then in, in, you know, in a war zone, in a, you know, in, in a country affected you know, with war, there is no really hope. So you, even when the war is over? Even if when the war is over, because, you know, like the systems are not yet in place. And then as we speak today, if you go back to Burundi, you know, from 2009 till now, nothing has changed. You know, our, 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 our younger generation are still looking for better opportunities. We still have higher unemployment rate in my country. And then, you know, to say to become an entrepreneur is still the same challenges that, uh, you know, that my, my, my country may have, you know, are facing so far. And then, to, and then some of them are, are now still moving, you know, moving out the country to find better opportunities. And then, you know, for me, the, big, the biggest challenges for Burundi and then for other African countries is, is really, you know, the youth doesn't have hope. We don't have a government who is behind us we don't have any program that is supporting us even if we don't we, we might have it on paper but you know the the actual programs are not operational and then you know as 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 young people we like to dream and then we need to make our dream come true and then i hope our system could could be better that's what i found in europe even if i don't have I don't have all the opportunities so far, but I can dream. And then I hope that my dream will come true one day. So that's what I didn't have in my country of origin. We've had many conversations, you and I, around the issue or the, the disconnect that you've perceived. It's part of your big dream, part of this big idea that a fire you have burning in your heart to basically channel everything that all the privilege you've, that's been endowed in you, the, the knowledge, the network access, the skills, you have a burden for being able to or, or wanting to channel that back into your country. And you're seeing gaps in the current efforts within the, say, grant funding community, the foreign aid community, the impact investment community. All these people technically 
in terms of the of their rhetoric and also in terms of some of the programs they're actually backing are trying to do a lot of what you say needs to happen but you see a gap in you know so i've i've kind of set you up like tell the people because i think it's now you know it kind of speaks to why what gen z exists and what you think the big idea needs to be if we're going to succeed at this so like the opportunity that i found in the netherlands was to help other entrepreneurs to other different Dutch organizations. This organization, I started my career as a consultant, supporting Dutch companies and African companies to get connected and then get access to finance to set, you know, kind of partnership and then do business together. And then I moved into another position when I was an investment manager. And then in that position, I was really helping Africa to get access to finance. It was through microfinance. We, we support microfinance that then at, at the end we support small and medium entrepreneurs. And then I realized that, you know, small entrepreneurs were, you know, weren't getting really the support that was, that was needed. There wasn't really direct access to finance. And then I moved to an, an incubator where I was supporting young African entrepreneurs to come up with innovative ideas and then get, you know, you know, start doing their the business. And then I realized that no one was providing funding to those entrepreneurs. Everybody will come, teach them how to, you know, how to write a business plan, go into these incubation programs, but then the access to finance was still lagging behind. And then I realized as a diaspora, someone living in the Netherlands, that, you know, I would like to help those entrepreneurs. I would like to invest in some of those ideas. And then for me, I realized there was no such platform. There is no way I could, as an, a diaspora or a migrant, invest in my country of origin. And then I realized that all my country mates, all the diaspora that I've met so far, wanted to do so. But then they are all afraid to invest because there is no such a platform. There is no regulation. They are just afraid of losing their money. And then I realized, you know, when I looked at what crowdfunding was doing, and then when, when, I, when I've seen that, you know, in, in the US, in Europe, people are investing into each other, they are helping their own communities. And then I realized maybe crowdfunding will be the tool that can connect the diaspora and the investment opportunities in, in, in the country of origin, and then create this trust and transparency that can spark the next big thing for me, like diaspora really investing in their own communities and then flourishing our continent. Let's talk about the prevailing culture in diaspora and communities and of course um, I would be remiss if I painted all uh, diasporans with one brush we, we, we obviously come from a massively diverse uh, continent with a myriad of languages and cultures but if we for a moment give ourselves permission to generalize in a way I, I, I want to understand perhaps help me understand perhaps help our audience understand why the African diaspora does not enjoy the sort of level of structured when it comes to contributing to home base that we see perhaps the Greeks do to certain Middle Eastern communities, certainly the Chinese and, and, and other Asian uh, groups, the Indians, for example. What do you think makes it difficult for African diasporans, many of whom have found great success abroad, have affluence and influence that would benefit the continent. What's stopping us from being able to participate or organize in the same way? For me, I would say around three things. One of them is that, you know, this is really in general, it's like the diaspora is not really connected to the country of origin when they start being here. So connected, I mean, they don't have the, all the information, they, they don't have the you know the right connection to the government and then sometimes they just do business with only or they support families and friends but not really look at the broader 
you know, landscape in the country, like small entrepreneurs or just trying to do something different. That's one thing. So, yes, just to elaborate on that, you're basically saying a lot is happening in the space of individual family units doing their best to take care of their own back home. So I suppose the, the fact that, you know, we all collectively, well, individually remit funds to, to home for for food and shelter and healthcare and other such items. But this is not generally something we do as a corporate whole. Yes, indeed. So we, we you know, like that's what we, we are used to. And then it's also safe for us because, you know, we as Africans, we don't like to take risks. And then since we're also far away from our country of origin, it's, it's easier for us to support our family members, to support our, our friends, to just do, you know, some kind of community building. But then to take the, 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 the other step to invest or to do more productive investment, we need to learn how to take risks. And then this is not something that can come up today, but we need a training. We need, for me, I think we need what we call financial literacy to really try to catch these opportunities that we see back home. So for me, that's what I would say. We have, we have the ambition, we have the willingness, but we don't have the right mindset today. We don't have the right mindset in to starting investing. So that's why there is, there is an opportunity to to learn more about fi finance, financial literacy and those kind of things, and then to start investing. That's one thing. And then, on the other hand, we don't also have any financial product today targeting us, either coming from our country of origin or for our host countries. Everything we do is as individual. But we don't have, like, let's say, a bank in Burundi would say, okay, let me set up this bonds or diaspora thing for the you know this financial service for the diaspora, and then let me go abroad and then explain the diaspora. There is... You know, there is no connection with our country of origin and us. And then everything we, everything the government is doing is on the behalf of the government. They didn't speak to the diaspora. They don't understand the diaspora. And the diaspora is also into communication with the government. And the diaspora is doing things individually. Maybe they don't want to support the government, but to build the local community. I think here we need to find a way to work together to try to see what we can do together. But so far, there is not, we don't have a place where we can share our ideas and then start working together. So you're, you're really addressing financial services entities who you don't see as doing enough to package and market diaspora-specific services and products. And, and perhaps you're also, you're also speaking to a fragmented diaspora community that doesn't have a unified voice or a, a unified means of communicating or even like in business terms or in commercial terms with their home countries and institutions there. Is that what you mean? Yeah, that's what I mean. Because, you know, so, so for me, the way I look at the diaspora, I look at it, if I, if I take the example of the Netherlands, if I look at all the diaspora, let's say coming from Africa, we are, we are all different, as you said. Someone might come from Nigeria, someone might come from Ghana, someone from come from Burundi like me but we you know we are the only thing we share is our continent we don't share our beliefs we don't share our history so we are not really connected the only thing that is connecting us is our African continent so then we are just then individuals we are just individuals doing different things but coming from one big continent so what is needed to you to you know I think what has been missing so far is this sense of not really being together but Accepting us as different, but doing something together. So for me, 
uh, working in this in this uh, area of migration and development, the way we should look at the diaspora is just there's just individuals. They can be they can be a doctor, they can be a nurse, they can be, you know, a banker. But we are all individuals. We are just a country. So then, how can you build, you know, a vision? for that country that is the diaspora and then put them together so as individuals but not as one people so that's that's how I, that's that's how I see the diaspora we're taking a quick break to tell you a little more about spark the presenting sponsor of the series spark is a dutch ngo with a difference since being founded by two dutch students in the 1990s to stem the degradation of higher education in the balkans the organization has grown to deliver expert services in 15 of the world's most vulnerable countries, including Libya, Liberia, and Syria. Spark bridges the gap between higher education and entrepreneurship by providing scholarships to displaced people, catalyzing student participation through civic leadership, and providing entrepreneurs with the support they need to succeed. To learn more about how Spark is rebuilding futures through vocational education and SME growth programs in the Middle East, as well as North and Sub-Saharan Africa, visit sparkonline.org. That's spark-online.org. I sense that there would be skeptics or even cynics listening to us right now who, who would argue that your ideas are virtuous and exciting and, and, and lovely, but not practical. What do you say to people who listen, who would listen to you say these things and go, listen, global finance and economic structures are not geared to, to support the vision you're, you're suggesting. Where do we start? Where do we organize? Or perhaps even grant-funded organizations, NGOs, listening to you as well go, listen, you know, we've tried. We know how hard it is to deal with governments and institutions. We know how hard it is to organize communities. What you're saying is not practical. Address that. As a businessman, how I look at things, I, I, I try to identify a problem, right? And then in that problem, find a solution, find an opportunity. So for me, that, that's what I've done. Indeed, it's not practical. It has, never, it, have, it has never been tried before. But for me, the business model that I designed, it's not something that's going to start working tomorrow. It's something that I see in 10 years. So from the beginning, what I want to do is setting up this diaspora investment platform. And then during my... In my project, in my plans, what I want to do is to teach the diaspora about how to invest, to give them the knowledge, the skills needed to make those kind of decisions in investment. And then on the, on the second hand, it's really to try to identify those good investment opportunities in our country of origin, then to make sure that the money that the diaspora will, will, will invest will, will come back. And then what I need from the donors, as you said, again, they would say, yeah, we've done it, we've tried it, but... Most of the time, everything that is being done by the donor is grant, is, is based on grant. It means it's not sustainable. If you want to build something sustainable, let's start from scratch. Let's try to address every problem that we see in this whole business idea and then try look into 10 years, not from today, because it will take time to build a community of good uh, diaspora investors, but also a good, good, a, a good uh, investment opportunities in our country of origin. And then let's look, it, let's look at it again in two or three years if we, had, if we had an impact. For me, it's let's start building today, some that will be great in 10 years. So you've mentioned uh, at least two or three times, you know, that you, you have a business background, you're a businessman, you're an entrepreneur. Is that, in your opinion, part of what you see as the issue in the approaches you've observed within, you know, the NGO space as interventions are being planned by innovation architects, 
even on the ground, what African, African nations have come to expect from, you know, global north and western uh, attempts to, to basically help or craft aid or deliver sort of impact investment? Is, that, is the problem that they're not looking at it as an entrepreneur might look at it? I would say the way they are looking at it is not really on the entrepreneurial side. And then for me, the way I look at development aid, it also, it, it also has another agenda, which is not really maybe, you know, entrepreneurship as, as per se. But What would you say that agenda is? If I look at the Netherlands, where I'm living today, is the agenda of, of the Netherlands is to stop migration. Everything they are trying to do, they are focusing on certain countries because they think in those countries people might move to Europe. And then all the programs that are setting up is really to stop people coming. And then let me just discuss on one issue. Everybody knows that in Africa, access to finance is one of the big issues in the world. I mean, in, in, on the continent. You know, government needs money, startups need money, SMEs need money. But so far, if I look at the Netherlands, the Netherlands is building incubators all over the, all over the continent. But then if you go to those incubators, you have young Africans with dreams who come and pitch and then have to go home because there is no funding. No one is funding them. So that's the problem. You are, you are giving hope to some entrepreneurs, but no one is investing, it, is investing in those entrepreneurs. And then that's why I think the diaspora can then play a role. And then that's, for me, the gap. The gap. And then I think we Africans, we need to bring our solution to the continent. If, the, if you know, we are sending a lot of remittances, why don't we invest a little part of that remittances in those companies, in those startups, and then, you know, just try to, you know, to close that gap? Because, the, the, you know, the donor will always follow his own agenda, but not the African agenda. So, break it down now. What does Wachenzi intend to induct in the space? You know, speak to our audience. Uh, you have... Uh, grant funding organizations listening, you have uh, investors, founders, you have diasporans living all over the world, you've got Africans on the continent, you've got students, you've got some of the um, you know, potential startup talent that are, are looking to innovate in, in various markets. Speak to your home, to what is now your hometown, quote unquote, because you're, you're based here in the Netherlands. What do you propose? What Gen Z want to dem democratize access to finance through crowdfunding. Crowdfunding is what we are looking at is supporting diaspora who want to invest in SMEs in their country of origin. So far, I have been pitching my idea in the Netherlands, in, in Europe, but so far I didn't see any interest from the donor's perspective to support such idea. My call is really looking at other diaspora who are also working on this issue to get in touch with me to see if we, not, if we cannot work together. And then for our government, you know, our African government, to fight also for us, to understand what we want to do, maybe to try to see if we cannot work together somehow. And then to the donors, to also look at... We are in this event today, you know, talking about, you know, refugee entrepreneurship, migrant entrepreneurship, to also our host country to try to telomate their programs towards some diaspora who might have great ideas to support them and, you know, bring, bring them forward as they are supporting other organizations. Right. I mean, this is also something you and I have discussed offline, the dynamics of why, you know, certain organizations seem preferred as partners, as recipients of grant funds impact investment funds, you know, so unpack that for our audience a little bit. You know, as I said, I, I was an investment manager before. I know how an investor thinks. An, an investor always invests in things that he, he knows, that he believes in. And then for me, the biggest challenge that I faced as a migrant entrepreneur is trying to connect diaspora and, you know, the, and then the country of origin. In the Dutch investors, in the investors' mindset, 
it doesn't connect. He doesn't understand why we migrants, we sh you know, we are interested in building our countries. We are interested in, you know, investing our, in our country of origin. So that's really, the, you know, the biggest challenge that I'm facing. You know, my idea doesn't really fit in the, in the investors, you know, you know, strategy or point of view. That's one thing. And then secondly, we are also too risky as diaspora organization. And then they claim that we are too small, that we cannot manage big funds, that we, you know, we are not equipped also in terms of teams. So that's one of the biggest challenges that I've been facing so far. But then my question is, why don't they look at us as startups, as, you know, people with great ideas? If I look at how they treat startups in, in, in this Europe, they look at an idea and then the team. I believe we, the diaspora or migrants, we should be also treated as such. If we have a great ideas, if we can set up a great team, we should get that opportunity also to be supported by, you know, grant or support from, from our host country. So that's the other thing that I see that I see also missing. And then a third one is where we are coming from as well. Our local governments, you know, they are, they are not supporting us enough because they don't know ours as well. So they, how do we connect with our government? So these are, for me, the three challenges that I see. Let me play devil's advocate by putting myself in the shoes of some of the people you've so far tried to infuse with these ideas. Show me an example of this idea working or attempts to make this work in your home country. Are there some best practice examples, some, some examples you might point to on the African continent of this sort of thing working well? Give me some confidence in the potential of your idea beyond my struggle to try and trust you and my preference for people who look like me and my inability to relate to a, 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 a place I've never been or don't understand too well. Give me a sense of what you might point to as signals for potential success on home base. So for me, let me just go back into research. Because before, as I said, I'd like to do my research before, you know, thinking about an opportunity. And then I'm going to start by, you know, giving you the, the example of the U.S. In the U.S., what they call transnational entrepreneurs, migrant entrepreneurs, are two times entrepreneurial. Migrants in the U.S. are two times entrepreneurial than local. So this, this was a research done by Harvard University. It, was, it has been proven. So then when, let's look at best examples in terms of diaspora investment. And then let me give you three examples. We start by Ireland. Ireland was built by diaspora that moved into, into the U.S. back in the, in the 20s. So this diaspora built the Ireland that we see today. If we look at then the case of India, India today is the most receiving uh, remittances in the world. And then we have many entrepreneurs who are based in the U.S., all over the world, investing in, in, in India, building that country. If you go to India today, you'll find many diaspora with big businesses. And then let's go back again to another country, China. China as well has one of the biggest diaspora in the world. And then you have many diaspora investing in China. And then the, China did also something great. The government itself created some kind of business networks in Europe to help the diaspora to be together to start, you know, bringing Chinese companies to, to Europe or to the US. We, they have that policy already in place. Beside that, China has also like a kind of, you know, funding support to any diaspora from China living in any country to set up a business. So these are the best, you know, the best practices. And then for me, my question is, why don't we replicate this on our continent? If, we are look at, if I look at our continent today, 
the only example that I can say that has really a good diaspora community, you know, trying to build a country is Cape Verde. Cape Verde, they are trying to do a lot. The diaspora is well connected with the government and together they are trying to set up some kind of initiatives in that sense. And then recently, Ethiopia as well is setting up, uh, as we speak, a diaspora fund. So, you know, there is some movement towards engaging the diaspora, but so far, the best three practices are those that I mentioned before and then, you know, on the, on the African continent, these are the two that I can mention, but then there is, which means there is an opportunity there. We can learn from what others done and then try to replicate on our continent. You know, perhaps in closing, this is a big elephant and someone wise once said in answering the question, how, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Where do you start stabbing the elephant and, you know, carving out a fork full of of elephant meat to, to, to devour it. Um, do you start at the policy level on the African continent? Do you try and influence the global north that currently dominates the flow of foreign aid and basically sets the priorities for what constitutes an important intervention that must happen now versus later versus at all? Do you start to galvanize communities abroad? Do you start massaging interest in, in citizenry in countries on the continent? Where do you start eating this elephant? So that is, that is a good question. Our business model is based on what we call a public-private partnership, which means we need to work with the private sector. We, you know, me, I am the private business. I am Wajenzi, so it's a private company, but I am working with also the government. I'm working with the Dutch government, also with the local government. In this sense, we're going to start a pilot in Ghana. So we're going to be working together with the Ghanaian government. We're going to work together with the Dutch government to try to connect first Ghana and the Netherlands. At the policy level, we need to have all the policy in places, the regulations in places, to build the trust and transparency needed for this. And then... As I said, we are looking at 10 years. That's where we will say, okay, we built something. And then in that time, we need to build the diaspora community around this. So we need to engage them more. We need some grant money, really, to be honest, to really provide these kind of trainings that are needed. So for us, in the beginning, it's a public-private partnership where we work together with the government to really set the regulation, to really work together with the diaspora. And then we have a private company that is really there to be sustainable, not like another project that will disappear in two years. We are looking really for an equity investment because, we, as we said, you know, we are looking at a five years horizon to start being profitable. So we need an equity investment. We need some work, some working capital just to to build all the environment around us. Try to to have the right technology. Try to have you know enough funding to do the marketing and communication, and then to build you know uh, momentum around our business. So we, we we are looking at equity. So in terms of working with the government, that's where we will need a grant. And then this is something we can ask a donor, you know, just to support the government, not really to support what Gen Z, but to support the government to understand what we, are do, what we are doing. So, yeah, for us, we're looking for an equity investment in our startup so we can really kickstart our activities. But in the, in, in the meantime, we can, look, we can use a grant to really support the government to, to, yeah, to set up the whole policy needed for this. Alain Kurukie, thank you so much for being on the African Tech Roundup. No, thank you very much for having me. It was nice talking to you. And then, you know, I'm, 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 I'm glad of the thing you are doing and yeah, looking forward to, to work with you more.